Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. This is the podcast for B2B marketers looking to uplevel their skills to succeed in leadership. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I am joined by Dan Frawley. Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Kamala. Yeah, thank you. The short story, I had a kind of a, a, a triple career. I was in the Navy in the first third, Naval Academy grad, did the Top Gun thing before Tom Cruise did. Actually, I was hoping you'd mention that. <laughs> In 1980, no kidding, 1983 to 86. So I was getting out in 86 when they made that movie. So anyways, uh, that's another story. Sometime I'll tell you what's true and what's not true about the movie. And then I, I transitioned into business school up to Boston. And I got out of uh, Harvard in 89. I was fortunate enough to be able to intern for a small e-learning. I didn't know it at the time, but a beginning of the e-learning industry that allowed me to stumble into tech uh, out of business school before it was cool, so to speak. And I, I really enjoy what a great uh, career. I was a CEO for founders. I was not a founder type. I was kind of a scaler. And so I had the right skills for the scaler. And I just got the chance to work with these tremendous entrepreneurs. And I did that across three companies. And I'm sure in our conversation, I'll use a lot of examples because it was 25 years of of just wild and uh, across three companies and managed to have all kinds of fun, work with some really great people, talented people, a lot of good sales and marketing people. And then I ended up after CEB slash Gartner bought my company, I started a venture company within corporate executive board. And then uh, corporate executive board was acquired by the company that acquired my first company, which was Gartner. And so we had to spin it out. And long story short, that gave me a chance to start a uh, name Falmouth Ventures, which was the internally started venture group within CEB. And that's what uh, I currently do myself and one other individual. My son actually works for me, teaching them ropes. Sometimes he's teaching me a few things. Those millennials, you know, you got to keep your eye on them. (laughs) Well, you can tell by that background why I invited you to speak about these topics. And our first one uh, in three days of topics is what are some characteristics of the companies that are thriving today? And we call it, I've been calling it the Sassacre. I've heard the disaster. I've heard a lot of variations, but things have been a little tough, different than they were for the last 10 plus years. Yeah, great question. Because I'm the old guy in the room here, I can say this. I lived through the dot-com disaster and that's a long story, but I was a CEO of a tech company then. To me, it's, you know, again, to, to some people, it feels like the sky is falling and it is to, to, to them. But to me, it's like, okay, I've seen this movie before. And it's painful. Glad you brought it up because I'll give you a couple of stats. I'm kind of a numbers guy. 38% of VCs have disappeared deal-making in 2023. That's almost 40% haven't shown up, okay? So something has changed clearly, right? That makes it very difficult to get capital. Deal volume's down 30%. Number of shutdowns, right? Just companies just close the doors. I will tell you this, the ideal stage to endure this is if you had just raised a Series A at the end of 22, beginning of 23, and I say specifically a Series A, just coming out of seed, that would be an optimal situation with about one to two years of cash. And then something I'm going to say, probably say 20 times in this conversation, because again, I want to be really clear. I was not running an AT&T or a large, I ran early stage companies. Typically, I took over with less than $100,000, locked arms with the founders, and then we tried, we took, tried to take them to the promised land, grow them and, and exit them either publicly or privately. And I will tell you something that's the truth. Product market fit is a very big deal. Okay. And uh, when you couple that with, uh, here's a stat, 75% roughly of VC deals fail. Okay. Half of them, of those 75%, I mean, they don't, should say 75% don't return capital to the VCs. Of those 75%, about half of them go under. Okay. So it's a risky business. 
Okay, it's very risky business, and uh, it's not for the faint of heart. But if you have a heart for it and an aptitude, you know, it's a lot of fun. Okay, which I the way I look at it. So to your question, which companies are thriving today? Boy, if I had raised the Series A and I had really good product market fit, that would be the bullseye, right? Or in some cases, and and I want to stress this uh, today. Maybe I'm smiling more than normal. We had an exit today, right? Within our venture company, uh, it literally closed on Wednesday, and today the you know the the checks cleared, et cetera, et cetera. It was an, a really nice return for all of our investors, which we're really happy with. But I have to tell you, this guy, I call him Kid, you know, he's probably a 40-something now. He's, but from the time I saw him and invested in his company, this guy did it right. He had product market fit out of the gate in a very big market. Uh, he's just clicked, grown, grown, grown every quarter, even to the end in classic entrepreneurial fashion. He's like, I'm not sure I should sell, <laughs> even though he's got this phenomenal offer. He can take a private jet for the rest of his life and his kids can too. And here he is, classic entrepreneur. I don't think, I, you know, because I, this thing is just it's still doing it. It's been doing it for seven years. And he was very reluctant to own, to take outside capital. I'm one of his few insiders, uh, VCs. Uh, he owns 50% of the company. Very unusual. Okay, very, very unusual. And so to your question, what are his characteristics? Big market. Incredible product market fit. Many times in the companies I was with, you know, it took us a couple of clicks to find product market fit. You didn't often have it right out of the gate. You may be close, think you got it, but you don't have it. And I won't go into all the metrics, you know, LCV to CAC and all those things that tell you whether you got product market fit, right? But when you have it, you know it. And again, it's good times for him. He's going, what, what, what tech depression? You know, what, what sassacre is he saying? Because he's very happy guy. <laughs> and, and, and another one happened last year again. So the key, the thing I would tell you is they had tremendous product market fit in big markets. They had something very unique and and, and they're just crushing it. And that, had, that for me hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. I'm so glad you said that for a lot of different reasons. One, I, I couldn't agree more from what I've seen, what, what that's worth. The thing that excites me is what a critical role data savvy marketers could play in a company where you're seeing signs that product market fit isn't quite there yet, doing mm -hmm. uh, closed opportunity interviews, interviewing customers, running reports on what common characteristics, churn customers share. There's a lot of things that marketers can do to make um, a, a big impact there. Are there other things you've seen successful company? You mentioned you were with some companies that didn't have it right away and they had to make some changes. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? It's very challenging when the founder and someone, a CEO like myself, brings in a young team, marketing team. And I want to be clear here, careful, because early stage, and you know this, Camilla, early stage, sometimes distinguishing between sales and marketing, they're almost the same. They're almost the same early on, right? A lot of companies don't, they'll have salespeople to start. They don't even have marketers, right? Sometimes they'll have marketers. And, and specifically, we're talking about the companies that I focus. I was not a B2C guy. I was B2B my whole career, and I was specifically B2B SaaS, okay, which is why we're we're talking here right now. So it's one of the most frustrating and one of the most important things you can do is to figure out what that is, okay? And from the marketing point of view and from the sales point, it's called marketing sales of SaaS, you know it because your salespeople aren't getting to quota, okay? Typically, it's very formulaic in many ways. Typically, you see anywhere from 350 in the low end to a million plus of quota per salesperson in a SaaS market, right? Depending on the average price point, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, another clue inside into that for marketers and leaders is renewal rates. Renewal rates is the market telling you something. And I will tell you that from the venture perspective, if you're not 85 of what I call wallet renewal rate or net retention, uh, if you're not at minimum 85, they preferably want to see you around 100, okay, mm -hmm. if not over that, okay? And what that means, again, just for your view, is, is if you renew something that sold at a dollar and it renews it, you know, it doesn't renew, obviously, that's zero. If it renews it, they buy more at a dollar 10, that's 110% renewal rate, right? Um, and if you obviously had 100 of them and only 50 renew, they don't, you get a 50% renewal rate uh, unit and et cetera. So, that's a really critical metric as much as anything else. And that's another indicator of, do you really have product market fit? It's very challenging for a marketer to walk into an early stage company with a founder and a CEO who don't quite have product. They may think they did when they talked to you. It's a complicated topic. That's where I'll quote something, an old skipper of mine when I was in the flying days. It's amazing how many truths came out of that environment and said, you know, if you lie to yourself in this business, you die, in meaning the fighter pilot business, right? Don't believe your instruments. Think you're here when you're there. You know, if you, that optimist can sometimes get you in trouble. That instrument panel for me is important. What's your renewal rate? How are your reps doing relative to quota? Okay, what's your conversion rate, right? What's your email response rate, right? Now, you know, some of the, re the response rates today are like, you know, I've seen numbers around 1%. I'll stop, but there's some obviously opportunities on the horizon with AI and a number of technologies that we're seeing coming down the track now. And a bunch of other, I want to be careful because I hear AI thrown around. AI is really powerful. You know that we, we play, work with companies that do it, but I want to be careful not put a brush on everybody this because... It isn't just AI. There's a lot of phenomenal technology companies coming down the track that are changing the way marketing, I think, B2B marketing is getting done, right? In some yeah. really cool and exciting ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see some scary things too. I think you kind of hinted at that where a lot of companies are trying to find any way they can to attach AI to their product. They're rushing to get it out the door. And then once they start pushing content materials, they lose some credibility, I think, because a lot of people are gun shy about AI. They need to see it work in order to trust it because we've seen a lot that just is okay. Uh, so it's trust building. I like something you said about how sometimes it's hard to work with founders who don't have product market fit because there are a lot of feelings involved there, right? And not everybody is super honest with themselves. This tension camel between what I said about don't lie to yourself, right? Yeah. On the one hand, and then I also, I was a hockey player in, in high school and college. And, you know, you want to go to where the puck is going to, where the puck's going to be, not where it is. Right. And therein lies the tension between, you know, that <laughs> don't lie to yourself about the facts, but, you know, an entrepreneur has got to kind of get to where the puck's going to be. That's the tension you typically see. Right. And that entrepreneur, uh, interesting stat that CEB quantified in leadership styles, that entrepreneur DNA is about 2%, 2.5% of the population. And the productivity is significant. It's like, I don't know, 30 or 40, 50% of the total population. They, they measured it. 2% of the population, like 30% of the productivity. So they're a highly productive group and very complicated and very talented, right? And there's, and there's always that tension you just pointed to between the feeling, which is where's the puck going, right? And the data is telling us, well, this isn't looking good where we're at, right? And so how do you rationalize those two things? It's tricky. Yeah, that's a really interesting point to make. I, I think some of the... CEOs I've been the most frustrated with are the visionaries who are pushing, pulling everybody along with them. And what I've struggled with as a marketer is to know the right time to strike and start publicizing and really making a big deal out of things. Um, I think most boards and CEOs I've worked with want to go as early as possible. Kind of depends on the market, though, and the trust 
that's there, doesn't it? Or are you more worried about beating out the competitor that has the same idea? Well, usually, usually you wouldn't, the VC, you wouldn't have VCs around the board. And typically someone like me, if the guy was the 10th guy in line, okay, they're typically first. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's not the immediate concern at the time. The challenge is going from idea stage, okay, which is entrepreneur land to first product to first customer, then to scaling. Okay. Those are steps in process like anything else. And I will tell you, and you know, this is, again, with the, as I said, the, I have the utmost, I would not have had a career if it were not for the talent of these entrepreneurs that have that gene. With that said, they're a very colorful group and being very blunt and, and kind of uh, military speak, I had to take half of them out. Okay. Meaning they had to be let go because the same thing that makes them phenomenal founders literally gets in their way. Okay. Later on, as you start to scale and you build processes that you can replicate to hire other people right? It becomes, it can become very challenging. That's just the reality of the way that there was a book written once it was, I can't remember the name of it that was, talked about this dilemma with the founder and the tension between, do they want to be king or do they want to be rich? And that's a wonderful paradigm because it really resonated with, and boy, that really explained a lot of what, a lot of what I experienced because some of them just want to be king. And it took me a while to figure that out. I'm like, if you want to be king, we're not going to get rich, right? And once you have VCs and invite investors to the table, that's in the way of those who want to be rich, which is want to grow the company, get product market fit, scale the thing, right? Employees want to grow it. Everybody has a vested interest in growing. Uh, and again, a very risky environment. But you find sometimes the same skill that makes it what, you know, there's a control factor. You know, that's a whole nother topic, but there's tension there. And sometimes you have to, you know, let them go. Uh, from their own company, which is very difficult on everybody because it, it's generally very loved and talented. But some of the best ones I've seen, the smartest ones, I had one call me up and say, Dan, I really apologize. I hope this doesn't upset you. He said, I'm not the guy to take this to the next level. This was a founder. He said, so I just wanted you to be the first to know you back to me. And I'm like, upset? If I could hug you through the Zoom, I would. <laughs> because he's proved... He's more interested in that growing his company, all of his employees' success, all of that than he is in being king, okay? And by the way, he'll get rich in the process too. Very, very smart, sharp guy, right? I was very proud. I said, I'm so proud of you. Really great move. Thank you for doing what you did, right? And it's so great to hear that entrepreneur and empathy can be in one person. <laughs> yes. It yes. happens. Yes. Yes. Dan, thank you so much for talking about this with me. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about skills your marketing team is missing, and I am excited to hear about it. Where can people find you to network? I'm on LinkedIn and active on it, so no problem there. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revenue Marketing Report. Please tell two friends, subscribe, download, whatever you can helps. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out CaliberVine.com.